And now I invite you to take a Bible to open it to the Gospel of Luke. We'll be in chapter 3. So it was one of my tricks when I taught Sunday school, and it seemed like nobody was listening uh, to anything I was saying, and they were just talkative with each other, that one of the easiest ways uh, to, to maybe get them to calm down and start paying attention was to assign them to read a passage in the Bible that had a lot of names in it. Because uh, then just the sheer embarrassment of trying to read the names would usually be sufficient for them to say, okay, maybe, maybe I shouldn't be talking as much. And this morning I've assigned myself a passage with a lot of names in it. <laughs> so this is going to be a, a difficult one, uh, but I hope you'll bear with me. We're going to be reading the genealogy in Luke which is in chapter 3, starting in verse 21. But I've never been so excited to preach a genealogy. Um, We're going to begin in verse 21, which is a little bit before the genealogy starts. But we believe that everything in Scripture is there for a reason, and so we try not to skip over any parts of it, even the parts that sometimes we don't like to hear, and even the parts of it that sometimes are hard to pronounce. Um, But hopefully you're there. If you're using one of the Bibles provided for you in a pew, This is on page 859, where we'll pick it up in verse 21. It says, Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathet, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Jani, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Nagai, the son of Maath, the son of Mattathias, the son of Simeon, the son of Joshik, the son of Jodah, the son of Joanan, the son of Risa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Nerai, the son of Melchi, the son of Adai, the son of Kosim, the son of Elmadon, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Eliezer, the son of Joram, the son of Mathet, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Eliakim, the son of Malia, the son of Mena, the son of Mattatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salah, the son of Nation, the son of Aminadab, the son of Admin, the son of Arnai, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Amen. (laughs) So, I probably messed up half of them, so I shouldn't even get an applause. But why a genealogy? Why would we read it? I want to make genealogies just a little bit less intimidating for you, and so that's one of the reasons we didn't skip over it. But we've entitled the message Communicating His Word because we're beginning the year 
like we do most years here at Lakeside by going back over our mission statement to love God, care for all people, and communicate his word, and to remind ourselves of what we mean by that. And we specifically chose the word communicate his word, uh, and not just to speak his word or to proclaim his word, because there's something more involved in communication than simply speaking. If, if the work was only saying what we wanted to say, communication would be a lot easier. But the goal is that someone hears what we meant for them to hear, and they understand what we were trying to say in the way we were trying to say it. And that makes it a much more dynamic reality. And most psychologists tell us that communication is much more about nonverbal cues than it is even about the very things that we say and the words that we choose. And so communication broadly includes what we say and what we do and whether or not both are understood in the way that we mean them. As a sort of a funny example, my sister in Chicago goes to a larger church, multi-campus, multiple services, so it's very unlikely that you'll go on a Sunday morning and see someone from your small group. You kind of just feel like you got the luck of the draw if that happens to take place. And so she saw someone who was in her small group, and she was really excited. And so you could just tell from her bodily expression, she went up and said, hey, it's so good to see you, and was kind of ready to go in for a hug. And it was clear from the other person that that isn't what they were interested in. And she just kind of like, well, hello, nice to, nice to see you. And my sister was incredibly deflated, like, that's weird. You know, we don't see each other very often and thought I was kind of being obvious in, in what I was doing and saying hello. And so service takes place and she's coming out and now the very same girl comes up to her and now she's very excited and comes up enthusiastically and is like, hey, it's good to see you, Jen. And she's like, okay, I was excited to see you and you didn't seem to be. Now you're excited. And so she pauses and says, wait a minute, do you have a twin sister? And, her, and she says, I do. And she's like, oh my goodness. I think I totally scared your sister before service started because I went up eager to hug her and she had no idea who I was. But that, that's kind of the dynamic. There, there's so much more involved than just the words that we say. Is it understood? Who's involved in this process? And how are we communicating the word? And what we get in this passage is a witness in three different ways. The first one is a witness from heaven. What Luke records for us is that a voice breaks forth from heaven, where God the Father himself speaks a word of witness about the significance of what's going on as Jesus is baptized, and the heavens open. John had already prepared the people. He had said, guys, I'm not the Christ. There's someone coming who is greater than I am, and when he comes, you're really going to want to listen to him. And so Jesus comes, Jesus is baptized, but then the voice from heaven itself comes and says, You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. This is a unique statement that in a general sense, we're all God's children in that he has created all of us, but then he invites all of us to become his children through a relationship with him in the form of a covenant. But to Jesus specifically, he says, this is my beloved son. This is my unique son. This is is the son who's not like anyone who's come before or will be like anyone who's come after. He's not just another prophet uh, or a servant of mine like a Moses or Elijah. This is the son, my beloved, in whom I am well pleased. And that's just not only a statement as Jesus 
is being baptized. That is the statement over his whole life and ministry and everything that he does, that he pleases his heavenly father. Now, for me, what's always fascinating about this passage is that this is the moment that the father decides to sort of make the announcement that he's well pleased with him. Because all of you that are parents know you have different things that your kids do that make you proud and plenty of things that don't make you proud, right? And so there's moments when you want to say, yep, that that one belongs to me. And then there's moments where you're not as inclined and say, where where is their parent? I don't know where they are. And uh, so Jesus is being baptized and who he's surrounded by at the moment is who John had just last week when we were looking at this said, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. And so he was surrounded by a lot of people who weren't living exactly the way they should be. They had varieties of reputation and various sins that they struggled with. And Jesus joins this crowd to be baptized while they're being baptized. So if you will, he's putting himself in the company of a lot of broken people who have a lot of sin issues and have a lot of changing that needs to happen. And it's as Jesus comes alongside of them and is willing to be surrounded by them and willing to be among them. Even willing that someone would misinterpret what this means. Like, are you one of these people that needs this? (laughs) You know, we know the tax collectors need this. We know that the Pharisees need it. So you joining this and you coming into the water, what have you done wrong? And eventually they'll learn he hasn't. But the father looking down on the son and seeing his willingness not to run from any of these people, but to love these people. Not trying to remove himself from them, but his willingness to identify himself with them. He looks down and he says, guys, guys, look, that's my son. Do you see him around all those people who don't think they have a prayer, who don't think they have a shot, who've just been totally convicted that they're worse sinners than they ever imagined? And do you see my son with them? That's my son. Right? If, if the father was more like you or I, he would have waited until Jesus had healed someone. He would have waited until Jesus fed 5,000 people, you know, something more like that, and then said, see, that's mine. That's my son. Look at that cool thing he just did. But no, when the heavens open, they open precisely when the son is reaching out and letting other people know that he is among them and he is here for them. And that makes the heart of the father Delight, And he says, with you, I am well pleased. And so we have that witness from heaven that it is the joy of the Father when the Son is connecting with and reaching out to the lost. And then Jesus, in his ministry, when we get there around Easter time to Luke chapter 15, will tell three consecutive parables saying that if you really want to know what makes heaven happy and what makes heaven sing, it's when lost people are found. It's when dead people are raised to life. It's when lost people are saved. That's when heaven rejoices. That's when songs are sung. And so just like here in the baptism of Jesus, we have this voice breaking out. He says to all of them, If you really want to sense that you're living life in such a way that the Father is pleased, these are the kinds of things that you want to be about. You want to be communicating his word to the lost and the least and the last, and you'll know in those moments the pleasure of your heavenly Father as you do those things. So that's the witness from heaven. And then there's the witness from history. As you look at this genealogy, you don't have to be a biblical scholar just to make a couple of observations of 
similarities and dissimilarities between this and the genealogy in Matthew. So the first thing you would, if you compared them, you would say, well, Matthew started with it. Matthew chapter 1, he starts with the genealogy. Luke waits for chapter 3. Matthew starts from Abraham and goes toward Christ. Jesus starts from Christ and goes backwards. Simple things you could observe. You'd, you'd look at it, if you wrote all the names down, you would say, there are some names that are similar, and there are some names that are not similar. And so you'd write the question down, why is that? <laughs> and that is your exploration for more study. But another thing you'd observe is that Luke, though he goes in reverse order, he also does something else different. He doesn't stop at Abraham. He goes even further back, and he takes it all the way back to the very beginning to Adam himself. And so there again, okay, so Matthew goes from Abraham to Jesus. Luke goes from Jesus all the way back to Adam. And they both have different reasons and purposes for why they would do what they're doing as it relates to the entirety of their gospel. But we've already said for Luke, he, he's writing to someone named Theophilus, someone who is of a Greek background, whose name just means friend of God. He's in some official authority in the Roman Empire. And he says to him, I'm going to tell you everything I know about Jesus and everything I've heard in an orderly way so that you can know who he really is. And so then he starts to unfold this gospel. And as he now takes this genealogy and extends it even beyond Abraham all the way to Adam, one of the things that he is doing is saying, Jesus has come for humanity, for everyone. Yes, he's come in a distinct family line, and so he is a Jew, and he is from Abraham, and he is from David, and all that's true. Everything Matthew said is right on. But it also goes further back where the purpose of Jesus is not simply for the people from Abraham. It is for all of humanity that is broken and lost and in need of a Savior. Because we've all been lost since Adam. We all live now in a fallen and broken world since the temptation and sin of Adam and Eve. And none of us are in the Garden of Eden anymore. So it's a way of extending the genealogy back far enough that no one could say, well, that's not my family tree. (laughs) Well, that's not my family tree. No, no, no. This goes back far enough to say, part of what is the purpose of the Heavenly Father in Christ coming is to restore humanity from its fallen state to provide redemption from people from every tribe and tongue and nation before there was a division of people, before there was a division of languages. And so it's totally appropriate when now in the same weekend, uh, Christians all over the place and even non-Christians are recognizing on this weekend the legacy of Martin Luther King and all of his action to bring about racial reconciliation and to approach injustice and violence in our society in nonviolent ways. At the same time that a variety of pro-life and Christian organizations are seeking to bring awareness to life in all of its stages and to protect life in all of its stages, that both of those things are so fitting with the purpose of Christ coming into the world. That he, in his coming, he tells us that every human life matters in all of its stages. And he also tells us that every division that has come about because of the fall, whether it's uh, linguistic or ethnic or economic, all of those are differences that have come about in a fallen world. And that the Christ who has come has come that we would know that life is precious and sacred and that God honors all human life and that God desires people from all kinds of backgrounds and ethnicities and languages and histories to find unity in him.
That's what a genealogy tells us. That's the witness from history. As Luke is trying to persuade Theophilus that the coming of the Christ as the Messiah, the one from Abraham and from David, is also for him. He's not excluded from this message. He as well has to consider who Jesus is. And the very fact that you and I, when we would try to read out these names, find them difficult, is a testimony to the advance of the gospel in our day. Right? So that if we were just to publish our church directory and ask them a couple thousand years ago to read all of our names, they'd be doing the same thing. Right? How in the world do you pronounce this name? I have no idea. Who's that? Who's that? Because we represent different backgrounds now, different ethnicities than theirs. And so what is common to us is not common to them. What they would look at and say, come on, this is like Joe and Larry. These are just common names we have a little bit of a difficulty with. But it's a testimony to how the church responded to the news of Jesus that they then took this message forward to Theophilus and to the peoples of the world so that they would know that Christ has come from them. I just have to think of my own family background. One of my uncles, when he came to this country, he was asked at the immigration office, you know, what is your name? And he said, Vladislav. And the guy said, how about Joe? (laughs) And he wrote down Joe. And so Joe was one of his nicknames and still is as he's in this country. Uh, Because it was, man, that, that might be a common name where you come from, but that's not a common name here. And so we'll go with something more common here. But that's just true of the world that with our different backgrounds, with our different cultures, yes, there are differences. And many times those keep us apart. But as we try to live out the implications of the gospel in our life, and we really believe that Jesus has come so that every person of every tribe and every tongue and every nation could know God and could be restored in a relationship with him, then we try to work past those things. And we try to pronounce correctly someone's name (laughs) in their own tongue and hope that they extend the same courtesy to us that we could get to really know one another but that's the testimony from history as luke is recording this that jesus began this ministry he gives an indication of this miraculous birth that he was from joseph and then in parentheses as was supposed i.e don't forget what i told you going into this this is the unique son of god born of a virgin and he has come for everyone And then beyond that, we get not just the witness from heaven and the witness from history, but then the witness from us. That as as Luke has been making this argument and as we see how they apply it all throughout the book of Acts, which is kind of Luke's book part two, that's then the challenge for us. Do we embrace as part of our responsibility as becoming Christians to now continue to communicate that message to those who haven't heard it? This, this isn't just good news for people that were already on the inn and were kind of expecting this to happen. This is good news for people who right now have no expectation of this. This is good news right now for people that aren't praying at all. The, the, the last thing they ever would have thought of was waking up and coming to church this morning. They were up until 4 o'clock this morning having all kinds of fun. It's not even on their radar screen that there are bigger questions or thing to, things to think about in life and for eternity. And that we would desire to be a part of God's plan to actually communicate that message to them. So so how do we reach them? What are effective ways that we can reach out, not just to people as they come, but even to those who don't come? Not just to people who like what we have to say, but wow, we really, we're trying to persuade someone who's actually been hurt by the church their whole life. 
when they think about the different Christian leaders or organizations that they have been exposed to, they've had tremendously bad experiences. And so now, every time they listen to us, they listen to us suspicious, skeptical. Because I know that so-and-so was saying something similar and the way that person lived and what that person said, I don't want anything to do with that. And therefore, we come into it not even knowing that history, but in every way they listen to us, their listening is shaped by those experiences. Are we sensitive to that? And are we okay with that? Does that make us say, well, then it's just too hard. I'm done talking and we're going to leave. Or, okay, I guess we have to try a different approach. (laughs) Each person needs a little bit of a different strategy. There is no one right way to do it. That's why we put the D.L. Moody quote on the back of the handout, if you got it when you came in. D.L. Moody was famous for saying, I like my way of doing evangelism better than your way of not doing evangelism. Which is great, because what he's getting at is you can spend all day long talking about different strategies of how to do it. But if all you do is talk about it and don't do it, then why did you just have a three-hour debate about whether it should be this way or that way? And so it wasn't a statement of arrogance. It was a humble statement on his part to say, if you want to figure out the best way, you just spend all your time, I'm just going to keep doing it. I'm just going to keep doing it with whoever... God puts in my path with whatever intersections take place and there are opportunities for me to say the word and if five years from now you show me how to do it better, I'll do it better. If you show me that, I'm not closed off to any idea of how to do this but I want to be serious about this and I want to keep on doing this and trust that God has all the grace in the world for the mistakes we'll make along the way. What he's looking for is in our heart the desire to do it. And so, for us to think through specifically all the verbal and nonverbal ways in which we seek to communicate this word to make sure that everyone knows and especially the least, the lost, and the last that this really is for them. They're not excluded because of where they were born or what their current situation is or how anybody treated them or what any previous church might have said to them about who they were. But there is an opportunity before them to know Christ and to love him and to be transformed by him. And that with whatever God convicts us with, all of us would say, please, Father, do do more with us. Uh, We want to sense the pleasure of heaven on the actions of our normal everyday experiences. That you'll never say you're well-pleased like your son who is perfect, but we can really know that things we're doing are just bringing a smile to the Father's face. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you that you really have come for everyone. That your desire is to restore a broken humanity and to show us a new way of life and a new way to love one another. We pray that you would help us to not get caught up in so much of the skepticism and the cynicism of news reports and different stories that just try to tell us it can't happen. You, you, you can't break down barriers of ethnicity or economics or various things. And that we would really believe that if we take time to get to know people and to understand them and to listen to them, that you bless that, that you honor that, that you start to do things that none of us can explain or fully understand and that we can sense your pleasure in our decisions. 
We know that the majority of this is nonverbal, so we pray that you would help us to just think through ways in which we live our own lives and conduct ourselves and how we speak about other people even when they're not around. Transform us to become more like your son so that we could more effectively tell others about him. But we thank you for sending him. We, we confess that we are among the, the lost and the last and the least. That we would have no hope. We would have now no song to sing had you not come. And so we thank you for sending Christ for us. And now we pray that you would work out his will and his purpose and expand his kingdom through us. In his name we pray, amen.